Our world as a whole, for the most part, rejects Christ. Our world either flat out rejects Christ or it distorts and changes the truth of Christ, but in either way, it denies our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, atheists, uh, they say there's no such thing. They say it is a, a superstition, that it's a fable, and they deny Christ in that way. And then the Mormons and the Muslims, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and many, many, many other groups, they change or they distort the truth of Jesus, and they deny Christ in that way. Sadly, most of the world today rejects the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing tonight. They have to work to stay in their, rejection, their rejection. They have to, to make an effort to keep up their denial. You know why? It is because the truth is the truth, and the truth will always stand. And to see the truth and to continue to reject the truth takes an effort. It takes work to reject the truth. Let me give an example tonight. Evolution is the main theory given to explain the existence of life and the creation of man. It is the main one. It's the main theory. Uh, it is embraced in all of the great institutions of higher learning. All of them are going to teach this. Uh, today, if you have a brain, if you are thoughtful, if you follow the science, if you're not a dummy, this is the explanation that is given for the existence of life and the creation of man. If your kids have a science book, if they have a biology book, you flip it open and you'll see that. Do you know tonight, I'm just going to say it, probably going to get a bunch of response this week. Do you know evolution makes no sense? Do you know in the system of evolution, there is no starting place. There's no explanation of a starting place. They have no way to talk about beginnings. Uh, they say something along this line, I know I'm going to paraphrase it, but that there are elements in a primordial sea of elements, and somehow the elements interact with the other elements, and then and a spark occurs, and life forms out of that. Well, I want to ask the question, where is the sea? Where was the sea? What was in the sea? What are those elements? Where are they made of? Where did they come from? And how, how did this all happen? They have no answer for that. Did you know the founder of the theory, Charles Darwin, actually said, and this is what he said, the only thing that would destroy this system of thought would be if the fossil record did not support it. He said if the fossil record does not support this, then it would destroy the theory of evolution. Did you know the fossil record does not support it? Not even close. In fact, it does the opposite of that. Did you know that for the theory of evolution to happen, they thought about it, and they mapped it out, and this had to split into this, had to split into that. For the theory of evolution to happen, they said the earth had to be 20 million years old, then 56 million years old, then 100 million years old. Charles Darwin said it has to be 100 million. It can't, it can't be less than 100 million. And then that wasn't enough. It grew to a billion. Then it was 3.2 billion. Today it is at 4.54 billion years old. They're saying that's not long enough. That's what they're saying right now. Did you know 
The theory of evolution at the teaching, listen carefully, of its founders, including Charles Darwin and his exact direct understudies as well, said that even in humans, that even in humans, listen to this, some have evolved further than others. And this is what they say, that black people and women can only be as smart as an ape because they're lesser evolved. Look it up, look it up. We've taught that for 100 years, and we wonder why there's racism in our world today. Let me tell you something. I could go on and on and on tonight, but here's the deal. It is harder to work to stay in the denial of truth than it is to accept the actual truth. It is more work tonight to keep backing up the calendar, to keep changing the definitions, than it is to say, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It is harder to embrace a lie, more work, than it is to say, I've seen the truth. Well, tonight in our verses, we're going to see that reality again. Our message tonight is entitled, The denial dilemma. The denial dilemma. We're in John chapter 9 tonight. We're going to cover a bunch of verses, verses 13 through 34. John chapter 9 tonight, verses 13 through 34. The denial dilemma. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 13, God's word says this. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs. And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received the sight and questioned them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but now how he sees we do not know. Or who opened his eyes we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, you are his disciple. 
but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, well, here's an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and you are teaching us? So they put him out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come tonight, we're thankful for you, we're thankful for this Saturday night, we're thankful for your goodness, we're thankful for your kindness shown to us, we're thankful for the kindness shown to us in your word, that tonight you would teach us, you would train us at your own word. I, I pray, Lord, that we would receive it, that we would hear it. I pray that as, as believers tonight, that we would be instructed, that we would be equipped that in a hard world, we'd be encouraged. And I pray we would stand as bold witnesses to the, to the gospel, the good news of Christ. I pray for some that are hearing tonight that have not heard of our Savior. I pray that tonight, in the hearing of good news, in the hearing of the truth, that they would turn from their sin, turn from a lie, and embrace the truth. Lord, I pray that all of it, every piece of it, is for your name and for your glory. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In John chapter 9, Jesus has miraculously healed a man that was blind since birth. It was a tremendous miracle. It is confirming the statement that Jesus said that he is the light of the world. It is actually showing Jesus is the light of the world. It was an astonishing event. It was an astounding event. And that's where we're going to pick back up tonight. Let's go back to our verses, verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now, get this. Be sure and remember this. See this. This man had never seen. He had never seen, and now he is seeing. When he was young, he didn't see. When he was older, he couldn't see. They knew he couldn't see, and now he was seeing, and it is all the talk. It is all the rage. Well, his neighbors, remember the neighbors, his neighbors want to know, was this of God? They, they want to know, what is this all about? And so they take the man to the religious leaders, that's what you would do, to the Pharisees to see, is this of God? What has happened here? Now, be sure tonight, the Pharisees were already set against Jesus. They were already fixed against Jesus. They were already, the Bible says, seeking his death. And so they're not open to some new information. They're not open to having some new understanding of Jesus. They've already made their mind up, and they're actually seeking to kill Jesus. We're going to see that play out. Verse 14. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Now verse 14, this is the issue. This is where the Pharisees will camp. On the day when he healed the man, it was the Sabbath day. Now kneading the clay 
broke the Sabbath law according to the Pharisees. Healing a non-life-threatening illness broke the Sabbath law according to the Pharisees. And so they were already building their checklist of broken laws committed by Jesus. Remember this. The Pharisees thought rule-keeping was the foremost way of worship. That's what they had come to. That's where they had, they had, they had, what they had concluded. They thought that rule-keeping was the foremost way to worship. And they thought that keeping the Sabbath was the foremost way to keep the rules. And so this was the big thing. This was the one that they could hold up. And so they thought if you're going to worship, you're going to keep the rules. And if you're going to keep the rules, you're going to keep the law according tied to the Sabbath. Now also remember here, it was God who instituted the Sabbath. He instituted it as a blessing, but they had made it a burden. He instituted it as a day of rest, but they had made it a day of requirements. He had instituted it as a day that they would truly worship him, but they made it a day that they would try and exalt themselves. Look at the rules that we're keeping. Now, here's something to see right here. God's plan is good. God's way is best. God's heart is gracious. Now, I want you to be sure of that. God's plan is good. God's way is best. God's heart is gracious. And they took the grace out of it. What God graciously meant as a blessing to them, they took it and they twisted it and they added to it and they made what God had instituted as a great, gracious blessing, they made it into a heavy curse. Friends, I want you to remember tonight, our God is gracious to us, and if you can't see his grace in his dealings with people, you're not seeing the picture. And I'll just tell you that our God is gracious and he has a gracious heart. And if you can't see the grace of God as he deals with people, you're not seeing the whole picture. Our God is gracious. Verse 15. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. They are making the case here in verse 15. They're making the case. Let me, let me go back to verse 15. I jumped to 16. Verse 15. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Verse 15, then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. All right, in verse 15, they are making the case against Jesus. They are not rejoicing. They are not glad. He sees, but there is no celebration. No, they're saying, tell us how it happened. And they have out their ticket book and they're adding to the laws that Jesus has broken according to the, to the system they had. And so they're not celebrating. They're saying, tell us how it happened. 
See this tonight. They are working to stay in unbelief. They're not open to the truth. They're not willing to listen to the truth. They are actually working to stay in unbelief. See this also tonight, and it's something I've, I've learned, and this is just my bonus for you tonight. Be leery of people that have a hard time responding to God's work with joy. And that's my advice to you. Listen to me. You be very leery of a person who has a hard time responding to how God is working with joy. And I'll just tell you, there's folks and God is working and he's doing tremendous things and it can only point back to him and they come along and they gripe about it. They gripe about how it's happening. They gripe about the, the method that's happened. They're, they're foul and they're foul when they come and they're foul when they leave. They have a problem with everything. There's a problem. Be leery of a person that cannot find joy when God is working. All right, verse 16 now. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man's not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform science, such signs? And there was a division among them. The man is healed. It's a tremendous miracle. He can actually see. His hope is restored. It is a great blessing. And they say, well, Jesus must not be of God. He broke the law. Folks, listen to me tonight. That's crazy. That is crazy. That's not logical. Look at all this. It's not logical. They say, yeah, but there's a problem. He didn't keep our law. Notice they are saying, talking of Jesus, he's not of God. They are actually willing to call him, Jesus, evil. That's what they do. He is evil. Well, what about this? What about this? What about that? Yeah, but look at this where they broke. He broke our law. They're willing to count him as evil. Now, there were other folks that did have some sense, and they couldn't deny the miracle. You can't deny the miracle. And so they say, well, how can a sinner a lawbreaker do this. And so they have some sense. And so there is a division, a divide that is occurring. Verse 17. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. And notice here in verse 17, they're stuck. They hate Jesus. They can't deny the miracle. They'd like to. And so they're stuck. And so they just ask the guy again, well, let's, let's go back to him again. What do you say? And he says, he's a prophet. Now, watch this progression here. But he, he says he is a prophet. He doesn't know who he is. He, he, he's not sure uh, that, 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 uh, of his identity, but he knows he is of God. And so he says he is of God. He must be of God. And so what he thinks, he must be a prophet like Elijah or Elisha did miracles, he, he also could do miracles. And so he says, he is of God. He is a prophet. Verse 18. The Jews then did not believe it of him, that he had been blind and had received sight, until they called the parents of the very one 
who had received his sight. Now, verse 18, I want you to see how crazy this is. See how hard they are working to stay in their denial of the truth. Watch this in verse 18. Here is the man. They know the account of the man. Here are the neighbors that know the man. Here are the neighbors that brought the man. Here are the witnesses to the healing of the man. And here's what they say in verse 18. Didn't happen. Well, hold on. What about didn't happen? Well, the witnesses are here. They brought him because it was such a big deal. They actually say it didn't happen. Call his parents. Verse 19. And question them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? In verse 19, they ask two questions of the parents. Is this your son who you say was born blind? And how did this happen? Two questions. Is this your son that you say was born blind? And how did this happen? Verse 20. His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. We know this is our son. We know he was born blind. We are certain of that. They have no problem with the first question. All right, verse 21. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. They say in verse 21, he's an adult. Ask him, verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him, Jesus, to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. All right, what that means in verse 22, put out of the synagogue, means excommunicated. It means they would be put out of the temple. Now understand this, they worshiped at the temple, so they would be cut off from worship. They offered sacrifices and offerings at the temple, so they would be cut off from the offering, the offering of sacrifices. It actually meant to be cursed and to be cut off from God. You can't relate to God. You can't worship God. You can't offer sacrifices for your sin to God. It actually meant you've been cut off and you are cursed of God. Now, the Pharisees had made it known, if anybody confesses Jesus as the Christ, we've predetermined this is what's going to happen. We're going to excommunicate them. We're going to cut them off and put them out of the synagogue. Verse 23. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. This is a sad revelation in this verse. You see, these parents taught this boy to walk when he was blind. Can you imagine that? They, they, they taught him to walk when he was blind. These parents, they taught this boy how to get around the house. And you take nine steps and if you take 10, you'll hit the doorway. They, they took this boy, this little boy of theirs, and they taught him how to get around the house when he was blind. blind. When he's a little bit older, they taught him how to get out into the yard. This is how many steps to the gate of the yard they taught him that. These parents, they knew that when he grew up, 
he would be tied to the help of others. Either they're going to have to live a long time so they can take care of them, or some other brother or sister or some neighbor is going to have to take care of them because our son can't see. These parents, they knew that he had no hope. He, he was born blind. When he was two, he couldn't see. When he was six, he couldn't see. They knew it was hopeless. He was hopeless in his blindness. These parents, they knew they could try to describe colors to him. They could try to describe a sunset to him, a rainbow. They could, they could try to describe the things they were seeing around them, but they never could make any headway. They knew that. And of all people, they knew the heartache of having a blind son. They knew their heartache and they knew his heartache as well. And so listen to me. Of all people, they knew the joy of having a healed son. And how sad. For the fear of others, they are silent. Let me ask you something tonight. Why do we care what others think? Why do we care what others think? Why do we care what a lost world thinks? Why do we give so much value to the opinion of a world that denies and hates Jesus? Why do we care what a lost world thinks? The parents are silent. Let me tell you something. I, I watch today and I, I watch men in our, in, our, in our generation today, and they'll scream for a sports team. They'll scream at the TV. I watch men today, and they'll spend a fortune to go shoot a deer somewhere, and they'll talk all about it, and they'll talk about that deer, and those same men will not lead their own kids to know the Bible because they're embarrassed. They won't lead their kids to pray because they're embarrassed. Why do we care what the world thinks? Why do we care? How sad today we care what the world thinks. They didn't even rejoice at their own son. They stood there silent. Verse 24. So a second time, notice at the top it said again, so it's, it's probably more than that, but a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. They call him in in verse 24. They call him in again. And this time the pressure is on. This time the parents have already caved. This time they push him to compromise. Don't say that Jesus did it. He's a sinner. We're the experts. We're the religious experts. Just say God did it. Give glory to God. Don't say Jesus did it. Say God did it. The pressure is on to compromise. Now, there's two things to note right there. First is this. The holders of non-truth are never content for you to hold the truth. You ever notice that? The holders of non-truth, they can't just let it be. The holders of non-truth are never content for you to have the truth. They can't stand it. They attack it. They attack you. They, they pressure you. They, they coerce you. Compromise. Just compromise. The holders of non-truth are never content for you to hold the truth. And the second thing is this. And man, this is big today. 
Never trust the world's experts over the testimony of God's truth. Do you know that? God's word is our authority as followers of Jesus Christ. God's word is truth. He says that. And so I don't care what the expert is. I don't care what the governing body is. Never trust the world's experts over the testimony of God's truth. God's word is truth. These experts in the religion, they call him to compromise. Don't say Jesus did it. Give glory to God. All right, next up is a great verse. Great verse, verse 25. He then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Listen to this. It literally translates, being blind, I now see. And so this guy, that's what it literally translates. This guy says, you know what? I know one thing. He's forgotten everything else he ever knew. He says, I know one thing. I don't know about your system. He says, I don't know about your Sabbath. I don't know about the laws for it. I don't know about the things you're saying. But what I do know is I once was blind, but now I see. That's what he says. About that, I do not know. But what I do know, I being blind, now see. Are you starting to feel like you're at a tennis match? Um, I've watched a couple of tennis matches, and it's like the ball's going back and forth. I can see how did it happen. I can see he did it on the Sabbath. I can see he broke the law. I can see it didn't really happen. I can see, let's call your parents. I can see how did it happen. I can see. We're going to a tiebreaker. <laughs> I always tell my kids to be aggressive at the net. I'm not sure what that means. I've heard a lot of other people say it. <laughs> this guy's about to get aggressive at the net. Watch this. Verse 25. Verse 25, I can see. Verse 26. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Good grief, it's the same question. Verse 27, he answered them, here he goes. I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? It's a lot of work to hold on to the mistruth. It is a lot of effort to hold on to the mistruth. And they are working hard to hold on to their mistruth. Verse 28. They reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. The word revile actually means this. They loathed, they hated him. They burned in their hatred toward this newly seeing man. Now what did he do? He got healed. And they hate him. That's what it says. They burn in their hatred for him. They hate him. They revile him. Tonight, I want you to hear me. I want you to be clear of this. If your idea of the truth and if your religious practice makes you or leads you 
to hate others, it is not of Christ. Boy, we need to say that today in our divisive world. We need to say that in a world we want to strike first. If your religious practice, if your religious system makes you or leads you to hate others, it is not of Jesus Christ. You see, he loves. In fact, the Bible says he so loves, and he commands us as his followers to also love even our enemies. And if your religious practice leads you to hate somebody, it is not of Jesus. Verse 29. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he's from. All right, the man's about to finish the match. It's been long enough. Verse 30. Listen to this. The man answered and said to them, well, here's an amazing thing. <laughs> I didn't know you could be that smart eloquently you know, in the New Testament, but you can, I guess. He says, here's an amazing thing. You do not know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. Here he goes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Verse 32, since the beginning of time, it has never been heard of anyone open the eyes of a person born blind. There's been some other ones that were healed that weren't born blind. Verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He tells them this is the truth. He is of God. And if you were expert in the things of God, like you say that you are, you would know he is from God. But this formerly blind man says he is of God. That's what he says. Verse 34. They answered him. You were born entirely in sin. Attacking him, attacking his parents. And you are teaching us? And are you teaching us? So they put him out. Verse 34, listen to this. They can't argue with the message. Go back and read those verses. If they could have, they would have. And so once again, their response is to slander the messenger. Their response is to attack the messenger. He says a person in sin couldn't do these things. And he's right, and, he's, and he must be of God. I, I don't know. I think he's a prophet, but he surely is of God. And they can't attack that, so they slander the messenger. They say, you were born in sins. Here's what they say to him. You are a walking curse of sin. That's why you were born blind. And they say to him, you are teaching us? And they put him out. Think about this tonight. Here is this guy, and he's just a guy. He's just a guy, and he does not cave. The pressure of the crowd is mounting, and he does not cave. Just say that God did it. You'll be fine. The pressure is mounting. He does not cave. The pressure of his parents, they already sold out. They were silent. The pressure of the parents, and he does not cave. The pressure of the experts, and listen, religious experts no less, the people of God, you're going to be cut off. The, the pressure of the experts, and he does not cave. Why? He's already answered the question. Because I once was blind, but now I see. Listen to me tonight. We're about to close. Listen to me. The call of the gospel of John is to believe, 
The call of this message is to believe. The call of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to believe. And I want you to hear me tonight. You can believe in confidence. But I want you to hear me as well tonight. The call also is to stand. The call also is to speak out. The call also is to hold up Jesus. Why? Why, why would we do that? How will we do that? Listen, the call is for us in these last days to stand. Why would we ever do that? Listen to me. It's because we once were lost, but now we're found. We once were blind, but now we see we've met Jesus and we know him. And so our call is stand, stand. And then he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. He'll find out. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Let's pray. Mary, Father, we come, we rejoice. I rejoice in this guy. I rejoice in his boldness. I rejoice in his willingness to stand. I rejoice in his, in his, in his faith that's about to be revealed in the next Sermon, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm rejoicing that he got saved. Lord, I pray knowing that your good news is still good news, that your call is still the same to believe. And I pray if there's one and maybe some, and I pray many that are hearing this tonight that have not believed, I pray in the hearing of good news that tonight they believe. And then I pray as we watch this guy whose life was changed, as we think back on our salvation, on our life changed radically, in your grace and the power of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that we would stand. And I pray we would speak and not be silent like those parents. I pray that we would stand and uphold the gospel to a lost and suffering, hurting world. And I pray that, in, again, every bit of it, that you be known and that you be glorified. I'm thankful for these verses tonight, thankful for your grace tonight, thankful for your speaking to us tonight. And I pray the response now would bring glory to you. I trust it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our time tonight with a time of response, a time of invitation, a time to respond to the truth of God's word. And I'm going to tell you, that's, that's the reason we're here is to, to have a chance to respond to what God has said. Here's the truth. Here's the gospel. We're sinners, all of us. We're sinners. This blind guy, he was a sinner. Those Pharisees, they were sinners. We need a Savior. In the grace of God, he sends his only begotten Son. He lives a life he never sins that he would go in our place. He would go in our stead. He would carry our sin. That's what he does in the cross of Calvary. He dies paying my penalty, yours. They take him off the cross. They put him in a grave. He's dead, actually, physically, literally, historically dead. He pays the price in his own blood. Three days after he's in that grave, he steps out and he stands as the risen Savior, the reigning King, the Lamb of God that lives again. He's defeated death. He's paid the price of sin. And the Bible says, listen, the good news is this. Tonight, tonight, this many years later, if you will believe in him, if you'll profess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, raised from the dead, the, the Savior for sin, the Bible says this, you will be saved. I want to encourage you tonight, wherever you are, if you've never done that, do that tonight. That's your hope. That's our hope tonight, the only hope. If you've never trusted Christ, if you never trusted Jesus, do it tonight. If you're here and, and, 
and you've trusted Christ, but you never followed in believers of baptism. The Bible always says it's after the point that you're saved. It's always by immersion. It's a picture of what we believe of Christ, that he died and went into the grave, that he came out of the grave. It's a picture of what's happened to us in Christ, that we've died with Christ, and we now live and walk in Christ. And so if you're here and you've trusted Christ, but you've never followed in believers of baptism, you come as well. And it'll be a great testimony, a great celebration of what we believe of Jesus. If you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it, believe God has led you here, you come as well. Together we'll, we'll serve his word, his mission to a lost world until he comes again. Maybe tonight on this Saturday night, you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. The Bible says nothing is too big for him, nothing is too small. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about during this time of invitation that you would actually pray for those that are making decisions, that need to make decisions. God has spoken to you tonight as we stand and sing. You step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. You come on. I'll meet you here.